turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13 today. And as you are turning there, let us remember that our passage last week ended with this declaration that Jesus tasted death for everyone. Our passage this morning begins to give us understanding of what that means. It's not that he tasted death for every person who has ever lived, but that everyone is a reference to the many sons that God is bringing to glory, the sons and his daughters. All those who are, as we'll see in our text, are Jesus's brothers. Every one of us who believe in him, that he is the pioneer of our salvation. Some translations say author, some, people, some translations say leader, others say pioneer. But Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. Let us explore this glorious truth through Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Let us remember that this is God's perfect word to us, that it's without error, and that it's incapable of error. So, let us give it our full attention. And may the Holy Spirit write, us, write it on our hearts. Hebrews 2, 10 to 13. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given me. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for this word. Indeed, may it encourage us, strengthen us, write it on our hearts that we may glorify you. Lord, knowing that even though we suffer, that Christ went before us, and through his suffering was made perfect, a perfect sacrifice, Lord, to succeed in suffering where we have failed, that that record may be imparted to us, and that our failures and suffering may be placed upon his shoulders at the cross. Lord, we give you the glory for this grace, your work in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1803, Thomas Jefferson, through two diplomats, Robert Livingston and James Monroe, purchased the Louisiana Territory from France at the price of $15 million, which came out to, you ready for this, four cents per acre. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how times have changed? Came and buy a bubble uh, gum without putting 25 cents in the dispenser. <laughs> but... Yet we got it for the Louisiana Territory for four cents an acre. The purchase itself nearly doubled the size of the United States at the time. And Jefferson quickly ordered that the territory would be explored. He chose Meriwether Lewis to command the expedition. And then Lewis, in turn, went to a friend of his, another pioneer, William Clark. And he asked him to actually not just be with them, but to co-command the expedition as well. 
And together, Lewis and Clark formed a military corps of discovery that consisted roughly of about 40 men. And we know the story. They went on a journey from St. Louis, heading northwest across the Rocky Mountains and ending at the Pacific Ocean in the Oregon Territory. And there built a temporary fort called Fort Clatsop, and they stayed there for the winter, and then they headed back to St. Louis. In the two years of their journey, they set up diplomatic relations with Native American tribes. They, they roughly discovered about 80 new species of plants, 122 new species of animals, at least for them. But perhaps most important of all, Clark drew a series of maps that were highly detailed. Maps of the terrain, maps of rivers, maps of locations where they had camped for long periods of time. Lewis and Clark and their men were pioneers of westward expansion because over the next two centuries, the pathway that they carved unleashed a wave of westward expansion by Americans and by immigrants in which a vast number of settlements and cities and farms were established. Pioneers like Lewis and Clark, who are the first to explore an area, are fascinating because their mission, their sacrifices, their discoveries, and their labor leads the way to the flourishing of future generations. They were pioneers that paved the way for future generations. And our passage this morning is a passage about another pioneer the pioneer of our salvation, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the ESV um, uses the word founder. Some translations use author. Others use leader. Others use pioneer. All of those are fitting words. If you look in the Greek, it implies all of those things. This idea of someone that leads the way, someone that pioneers. And so we see this in our text. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. What does that mean? How does it apply to us? We're going we're gonna to look at it through four questions. First, what is or what does it mean that Jesus indeed is the pioneer of salvation? Second, how was Jesus made the pioneer of our salvation? Three, why was it necessary for Jesus to suffer in order to be the pioneer of our salvation? And finally, an application how is Jesus' role as the pioneer of our salvation relevant to the way that we walk day by day? Let's take each of these questions in turn. First, what does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation? In the Greek, the word means to lead the way of salvation, which implies that if Jesus had not that there would be no hope of salvation. He had to lead the way, lead the way. Just as Peter actually proclaimed to the elders and the scribes and the priests in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, saying that there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which they can be saved. We can think of it this way. Just as Lewis and Clark's expedition opened the way 
was the basis of westward expansion. Jesus' mission work in the gospel provides the basis for our salvation. It paves the way. This is what it means that Jesus is the pioneer, that he authors it, lays the foundation for it, and leads the way in it. And this leads to our logical question, how? How was Jesus made the pioneer of salvation? Because we notice that he was made that. We see it simply stated in the end of verse 10, that God the Father made Jesus the perfect pioneer of salvation. How? Through suffering. And it's interesting that the text says that it was fitting that the Father did so. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Now we have to be careful with that language. There are Christian cults that believe that Jesus was not divine, that he was a man. They'll point to verses like this. Look, he was made perfect. How can he be perfect God if he was made perfect? But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's not saying that Jesus went from imperfect, impure, to that which was pure, and that had perfection. The author is not saying either that Jesus went from one degree of perfection to another, because there is no such thing. Because if you have a new degree, the previous one wasn't perfect either. That's not what he is saying. We, of course, know that it cannot be true because the Bible declares that Jesus, although tempted in every way that we are, he did it without sin. So the passage here is not saying that Jesus was by nature imperfect and needed to be made perfect. What it does mean was that in order for Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice for sin, he himself had to endure suffering. In order for Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice for sin, He had to endure suffering. He had to because it says here in verse, at the beginning of our passage, that it is fitting that he suffered. But why? Why was it fitting? Why was it necessary that Jesus suffered in order to be the pioneer of our salvation? It would help by jumping over to Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Love how there's consistency through the book. Just go over a couple chapters to chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We read this of Jesus, that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And we see that in our text this morning, back here in Hebrews 2, that he is the father of the source of our salvation. Again, when the Bible says that Jesus was made perfect, it's not saying that he was at one time disobedient and then he eventually became obedient to his Father. What it means is that by learning obedience through suffering, he became the source, the cause of our salvation. Without suffering, Jesus could not be the cause of our salvation. And the fact that he had to learn obedience through suffering to be that cause carries a very, very important implication 
that we need to make sure that we don't miss. It is this. In order for us to stand righteous before God's judgment throne, Jesus had to make up for our shortcomings and suffering. He had to make up for our shortcomings and suffering. Because salvation requires more than just Jesus to take our sins away from us. It also requires us to possess righteousness. And God's word is clear that none of us does. None of us is righteous. None of us does good. Not even one of us. We had to receive that perfect record of obedience and suffering from him. There are many other reasons why Jesus had to suffer. We've talked about those in other weeks, but this is another component of it. It's the idea of the substitutionary atonement. There has to be a substitution. That in every way that we fail, Jesus needed to claim victory. And suffering prepared him for that work. Because the wages of our sin is death. The wages of our sin is suffering. He had to suffer. And he had to suffer in a way that was victorious in ways where we fail. And that's certainly the case for us, isn't it? How often have we let suffering, hardship, trial lead us to bitterness, to seeking revenge, to being unforgiving, to being angry at God and complaining against his sovereignty? Time and time again, how many times have we failed to live out James 1, 2 through 4? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In short, Jesus had to be obedient suffering when we have failed in our suffering. He had to succeed where we have failed, so that the cross, he could bear all of those failures, and in turn impute to us his perfect record of obedience. So through Jesus' suffering, he was made a perfect sacrifice for our sin. It's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus suffers for us. And we will see next week that not only for our own sins, but he suffers the wrath of God that is rightfully ours. And we will see that again. Again, we will see that next week. For here, suffering because of our failure and suffering as well. And this simple truth that Jesus was made perfect through suffering not only has great benefit for our salvation. It's not only the basis or the foundation of that. It also has a great deal to do with the way that we walk day to day in our relationship with Jesus. The way we walk amongst one another. And this is what we want to look at this morning as our final question. How is Jesus' role as the pioneer of our salvation relevant to our daily walk of faith. We see it in verse 12. Jesus himself suffered 
And this is references to Psalm 22. I encourage you to go read it. It's somewhat of a lengthier psalm. Psalm 22 is beautiful. It starts off with, with pain and suffering, and it ends in praise. That we call one of the messianic psalms that prophesies of Christ. Certainly had relevance to the day that it was written, but also pointing forward to Christ that he would suffer, but yet out of his suffering, he would offer praise to his Father. And we see that here as it's quoted in verse 12. I, this is Jesus, I will tell of your name to my brothers. He will tell the name of his Father to his brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Every moment that he suffered, he put his trust in his Father. He knew that it was his Father's sovereign plan. But not only does Jesus praise, not only does he put his trust, but also, behold, I and the children that God has given me. There's a lot of application that we could pull out of this. But let us notice first the comfort that it brings. The recognition that Jesus understands our suffering. The phrase at the end of verse 11 is beautiful. And I hope that it becomes precious to you as well. That Jesus is not afraid to call us brothers. He's not afraid to call us sisters. We are his brothers and sisters. Not just because he saves us, but because we see in the context of our passage, brothers and sisters, because he suffered like us. You ever felt alone in your suffering? The feeling that no one could possibly understand. This passage, friend, gives us the hope that Jesus understands our suffering. Not just because he knows all things as God, but because he experienced suffering. It's not just head knowledge for Jesus. It's experience. Turn over to two chapters, to chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are without sin. He pioneered the way by suffering, and now he can sympathize with us because of experience. So friends, when you are hurting, whether it's the result or the outcome of your own sin or because of the sins of others, not only does Jesus simply can he sympathize with your pain? He is also able to help you stand in victory and to do what we see in our passage in verse 12. Not offer complaint to Heavenly Father, but to offer praise, to sing, which is not to minimize the pain of suffering. Because there is a lament to it, isn't there? 
but through Jesus we can sing in that moment because he suffered without, without sin to free us from the power of sin and death that we can also walk in this newness of life. And let's not forget that this comes on the heels of the declaration that he was made perfect through suffering. What that means is Jesus frees us to praise the Lord who suffered just as he praised the Father in the midst of his suffering. Because he knew that it was through his suffering that his Father would be glorified. And as we see in our text that many sons, many daughters, you and me would be brought to glory. And so for joy that was set before him, that joy he endured the cross. Perhaps I can say it this way. We can praise God in our suffering because in his sovereign hand, in his sovereign hand, our suffering is redemptive. It is redemptive because we are united to Christ through suffering. Just like Paul in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 3, that he desired to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to join in the fellowship of his sufferings so that one day, one day, through being glory with him. In God's sovereign hand, suffering is redemptive because he uses it to sanctify us all the way to glory. It makes me think of my Aunt Bev. I think I may have talked about her before. She developed polio at a very young age, my mom's sister, her only sister. And the polio ravaged the body. Now, thankfully, she was able to get the, the first round of like vaccines. They were able to um, preserve her life um, by God's grace, but it destroyed her body. She spent most of her life in a wheelchair or walking around on crutches. I remember just cringing watching her stand at times because it so destroyed her one knee that when she would stand naturally, it would come back to not here. Just completely just ravaged her body. And I can't think of a single time in my entire life where my Aunt Bev complained about polio, complained about her disability. She never asked for help, but yet sought to serve and to help others. She lived her entire life with my grandparents. She made most of her own clothes because she wanted to give. She had a cake business that they ran around. She made amazing birthday cakes and wedding cakes. My wife and I had a great wedding cake. Fantastic. And she used that money to support her parents so they didn't have to provide for her to help make her own way. She gave money away. She served in the national office of the Brothers Church working with youth at a younger age. And most importantly, she loved the Lord and found her joy in Him. In the midst of all her pain and all her suffering, I know that there were days that were hard for her. But she constantly was praising the Lord, constantly speaking to me about Him. One of my most precious possessions was the last Bible that she had. She died 11 years ago in 2011. And she got this Bible in 1986, 
And one of the things I love about my aunt is that for roughly the last 50 years of her life, she read the Bible once a year. And you can see that through this gift, the way it's worn, the flap that's supposed to go across and snap is gone. The ribbon goes the pages, barely reaches below the bottom because it's frayed, because she pulled it in and out of the Bible so many times. When I think about my aunt, I'm amazed how suffering could have left her bitter, could have made her angry, could have made her self-focused. But Jesus did a work in her. He gave her joy. He gave her his heart to serve. She did exactly what we see in Hebrews 2, 12 and 13. She gave praise to her God in the midst of the congregation. She put her trust, just like Jesus, in her suffering in the Father alone. She followed the pioneer of her salvation along the path of suffering. And even though I miss her deeply, I rejoice that he fulfilled his promise to her and took her straight to glory. <laughs> I can't wait to get to heaven to see Jesus. After that, I want to see my aunt Beth. <laughs> I want to see her body without polio. I want to see her run and jump and live life in a way that she could have never done in this one. Friends, as we come to a close, let us never forget that through Jesus Christ, we can do more than just survive in suffering. We can also thrive because all things, like at the beginning of our passage, all things exist for and by our great God, which means, as we saw last week, that nothing is outside of God's control, even the road to suffering in this fallen world. Therefore, we can trust that he, if he has sovereignly ordained suffering for us, that he has not done it to destroy us, to shame us, to push us down, but to build us up, to sanctify us all the way to glory. And so as you and I suffer, let's put our full trust in him. Let us look for those glimpses of his redemptive work in the midst of our trauma and in the midst of our pain. And may it turn our lips to praise him in the midst of the congregation when we come here on Sunday to offer that praise and that worship, just like the pioneer of our salvation, who for the joy before him again endured the cross and despised its shame. French Jesus blazed a trail for us. Now let us go and let us follow him along the road of suffering, by which our loving Heavenly Father is bringing many sons and daughters, you and me, to glory. And his arm is mighty to save, and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you are with us in the midst of your suffering, that your spirit and your word can strengthen us in those moments, and the reminder that Jesus is the author of our salvation. As we will see in later weeks, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Faith perfected because he suffered as well in every way that we have, yet without sin. And that gives us hope that through the Spirit suffering, in the midst of all its pain and its trauma and the scars, 
Lord, that it can lead us to praise because you will use even it to sanctify us and bring us to glory. We rest in that promise, knowing that you are greater in all days of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. This sermon was recorded at Living Hope Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more sermons and resources, visit livinghopeth.com.